Amen. Let's read together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We say that this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why do we do that? Is that just a throwaway religious comment that we use because it's what we learned? No. We confess this because we want to have reverence. Because we're not coming today to hear the words of another person. You're not coming here today to hear the opinions of your pastor. God willing. You're coming here today to hear God's word. And so as we come to it, it's right that we should have reverence for the word of God. And I know myself, I can sit and I can watch YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video. Hours of content. I'm wrapped. In fact, I watched a two-hour documentary this week on the Sea Peoples. I sent the video to Ant because he's another ancient history consumer. Two hours of my time wrapped watching about people that have been extinct for like 2,000, 3,000 years. Two hours of my attention. Unbroken. But so often when it comes to the word of God, we struggle. And you all know what I'm talking about. When you get your Bible reading plan out at the end of the day, or early in the morning, and you push that play button on your version app, and you can just feel those eyelids become heavy. And so we say this to remind ourselves to pay attention. To pay attention. To wake up and remember that this is no ordinary word that we're hearing. This is the word of God today, brothers and sisters, that you and I are privileged to hear. That he's entrusted to us. And so this is the word of the Lord and that's why we give thanks. That's why we give thanks. That's why we praise So we continue our study today of the church, the doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ and all that it entails. We spent a couple of weeks looking at the gifts of the spirit and now we're moving on to look at the mission of the church. What is the purpose and the mission of the church of Jesus Christ? That is the question we have before us today. Now here you'll see an image of a man in peak physical condition. <laughs> That's me playing indoor football going back about 10 years now. Got a bit more of a gut on me now and I don't fit that Barcelona shirt anymore. But I'm going to begin with a story. I'm going to begin with an analogy about me playing football. Because back when I first moved to Wolverhampton in 2000 years old, 2009, 2000 years. <laughs> back when I moved back to Wolverhampton, because I'm born here, but I lived away for quite a while. I was playing football every Saturday morning. I used to love it. Play indoor football, five-a-side every Saturday for years. And I absolutely loved it. In fact, some of you don't know, but I'm an FA qualified level one football coach. How many of you didn't know that? 
Well, I am. And I used to coach football. I used to coach panna football, which is like you play in a cage. It's a bit like cage fighting, but you throw a football in there and things get heated. And so that was what I used to do for work. I used to work for Youth for Christ. I loved playing football. Now, about two years ago, I realised I'd stopped playing. I hadn't played for a long time. That was because of many things, busyness of work and life and having kids, as you know, that can derail any social life that you once had. And I had fallen out of practice. And then we had the pandemic. And in 2021, I thought, you know what? I I fancy getting back into playing football again. And I thought I was in reasonably good shape. I didn't have any injuries that I was aware of. Um, and so I thought, let's go for it. So I contacted some friends of mine who I knew, ran a seven-a-side game. I said, can I, can I play? They said, yeah, sure. Most of them are about, you know, I could be their dad. But, but you know, I thought, it's going to be okay. You know, I'll be all right. I've, I've got a lot of history of practice. should be fine. And, and even, and because of that, because I hadn't played for a while, I showed up and I thought, some of these guys could, could be my kids. And so I'm not going to pretend like I can keep up with them. I'm going to play in defence. I'm going to play it safe. And so I decided to play in defence. I was going to play it in the back and, um, you know, try and limit any chance of injuring myself. Now in the warm-up, this is before even the game started, in the warm-up we were taking practice shots at goal. Each player was coming up, taking a shot and then moving on. And the ball came to me. I was about 20 yards out, and you know how when you get older, you can still visualise what you used to be able to do in your 20s, and I thought, I can see it, postage stamp, top bins, bam, and I kicked it, and as soon as I kicked it, I felt my quad in my right leg just tighten immediately, and I, I felt a sharp, sort of, sharp stab of pain in my leg, I thought, oh dear, oh dear, and of course, you can't let on that you've hurt yourself, Surrounded by 20 year olds and, and younger, and you're thinking, right, I've just got to jog this one off and pretend everything's fine. So I kind of like went off to a corner and began stretching and stretching and stretching, and still the pain was there. And the time got time to kick off, and I couldn't back out, I couldn't play chicken, so I had to play. But within three minutes, it became apparent that this pain was not going to go away, and so I couldn't run really. And I just, for the next five minutes, just kind of tried to look like I was playing and doing something useful. Um, but <laughs> before the first half of the game was over, I had to stop playing. I had to retire. It was so embarrassing. I was in agony. I couldn't go on. And it took me weeks to recover, maybe months to recover from that injury. And I got injured with the first kick of the ball. Embarrassing. Now, here's what I'm trying to say through this story. Why did I get injured? I got injured because I had been inactive. I'd been inactive for a long period of time. I hadn't kicked a ball in anger for over two years. And so when I tried to do it again out of the blue, I got hurt. I got injured. And I couldn't do what I wanted to do. You see, bodies, physical bodies, they require exercise to stay healthy. We need to stay active if we're going to be in the best physical shape we can be. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you remember. We were learning about the spiritual gifts. 
And in that passage we see Paul describing the church using imagery of a human body. The church of Jesus Christ, this church even, of Jesus Christ, is a body. Comparable to your own physical body. Now however well this body is made, however well put together a body is, if it never exercises, if it never becomes active, or doesn't know how to exercise properly, that body will be weak, that body will be injury prone. Does this make sense? And so just as that is true of your physical body, so it is true of the body of Christ, of the church, of this church. And so it's vital that the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, must be active, must be exercising. And I believe that that's a large reason for the weakness And the sickness that we see in the church, in the nations today. I think it's down to inactivity. Or I think it's down to doing certain activities wrongly. And I actually think that this issue of inactivity. Of inactivity. I actually believe that's also one of the main reasons. Behind so much weakness. And as Lloyd-Jones said, spiritual depression in each of our lives. So much weakness in faith, I believe, is caused by spiritual inactivity. By not being active. Maybe you were active at one point in your life. That Maybe there was a season of prolonged activity. But just like me in the football, if I become inactive for a long period of time... I become weak. I become injury prone. I believe it is the source of much of the weakness that we see in Christians today is simply inactivity. It may be that you've had many wonderful encounters with God in the past. It may be that you have an incredible wealth of theological knowledge stored up in your head. But unless we put these privileges into action, they are wasted. And we grow less influential, we grow less zealous for the things of God. And that's exactly what happened to the church in Laodicea in in the book of Revelation. Their attitude became one of laziness. It became, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I've got no need of anything. They've become bone idle. And satisfied in themselves. They were looking inwards. And they were very pleased with what they saw. They become slovenly and lukewarm in their faith. They weren't fit. They weren't ready. They weren't active. And therefore Christ said you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. Therefore I'll spit you out of my mouth. And so in order to be healthy. In order to grow strong. We, the church, must be active. We must be active. We mustn't just be receivers. Passive receivers of truth. But we must be 
active disciples of Christ, actually doing something on the field of play. We must be putting all the blessings that God has given to us into action, putting them to work. However, let me say this also. Is it good, is it right that the church just be active in anything? Is activity in itself good? I don't believe it's any use the church just being active in any old way she pleases. No. Activity for activity's sake doesn't profit anybody. Let me use another football analogy. I said when I went back to playing football that I decided to play in defence because I knew the capabilities of my legs weren't up to running up and down the wing anymore. I stayed in defence. And when I played my best was when I knew my role, I knew what my job was, and I just did that job. Threw my body in the way of the ball, tackled people, roughed people up. My captain loved it when I did that because that's what I was good at. Now... If ever I got in trouble when I was playing football over the last few years, it was when I forgot my role. Or I decided my role was too boring and I wanted to do something more interesting. So I'd dash up for it, I want to score a goal. And I'd leave a big hole at the back. And by me ignoring my role, my team suffered for it. And it was my fault and my captain would shout at me. It's the same with the church. It's the same with the church of Jesus Christ. It's not just that the church must be active. It's not just that the church must be busy doing stuff. And that seems to be the idea these days, doesn't it? That any activity at all is good activity. We see this, don't we? And we are all guilty of this in this social media age. Churches get into the habit of photographing all the great things that they're doing and posting it all over social media. Because activity... Is something that is positive, isn't it? Activity could be positive. Doing things is good. Inactivity is not good. But is all activity good? Is it just good for us to do anything and everything that we please? No. The church has to be doing the right things. The church has to understand her role. She has to understand what God has commanded her to do. And you need to understand what God has commanded you to do. So that you can perform that. So that you can please the Lord With your walk of faith. So we have to know. The mission that God has given us. And we must execute. That mission. To please God. So what is the mission. Of the church then. How are we to understand that. Well if you look up the word mission. In a dictionary. It will tell you something like. A mission is a special assignment. Given to a person or a group. So a mission is simply a special assignment which is given to you personally or a group. Now, many of you will have missions that have been given to you at work. You'll have a job description and in that job description is essentially your mission. It's what you've been called to do. Others of you in education, you'll likewise have your own personal mission of what you want to accomplish in that course. And the mission of the church is simply that. The mission of the church is whatever 
the church has been given by God to accomplish. And so, what has God sent us into the world to do? What has he given his church to do? What is our mission? Well, when I ask that question, I'm sure there are a lot of things popping up in your mind. Well, there's lots of things that God has commanded us to do as the church. How about love your neighbour as yourself? That's very important, isn't it? You know, if we as Christians forget that and we stop loving people, then we stop really being like Jesus, don't we? We forget what it means to actually be a Christian. We're not loving our neighbour as ourselves. So that's really important. Where should we rank that in terms of the mission that God has given us, the church? Loving your neighbour. Another thing that might pop up in your mind is, is caring for the poor. This was definitely something that was close to the heart of God. If you read the Old Testament, the poor come up all the time. And whenever God judges Israel, very often it's because they've forgotten the needs of the poor. And they've forgotten those who are needy among them. And so surely God has given us that job as well as part of our mission. We've got to look after the poor. We've got to care for the needy. We have to do our bit to help society. Maybe another one that pops up that's very common these days is that we're called to transform communities. We're called to transform our cities. That's another thing that I know many Christians want to see. They, and I do too. We want to see the city of Wolverhampton changed and transformed. And we want to see God move in our nation. Is that the mission that God has given us? To transform cities. Maybe others will have a, a, a slightly more narrow view of what God has given us. And that would be to evangelise. And, and that's a great thing to do as well. To take the gospel out. To tell unbelievers about the hope that's in Jesus Christ. And we do a lot of that here in this church. So how do we know out of all these things what it is that God has given us to do? What is our role? What is our mission as the church? We're saying time's gone by, maybe it was narrow. Many people would think about the mission of the church as being, like I said, just a witness to tell people about the truth of the gospel. In more recent years, some have tried to think of that mission in terms of broader terms. One scholar, Daryl Gouda, said, the mission of the church is simply this. The church has been called to be communities of common people doing uncommon deeds. Very broad description. Others have said that the mission of the church today is to co-labour with God. Now, that's true as well, isn't it? We want to co-labour with God. We want to partner with what he's doing in the earth. We want to be about his business as Jesus was about his father's business. And, and that's good. I think it's good, isn't it, to want to be about God's business. Some have said that the mission of the church is simply that. We are to co-labour with God in God's mission. To do what he is doing. To partner and co-labour with what God is doing in the earth. And that's it. Case closed. We're just co-labouring with God in his mission. We're bringing heaven to earth. Co-labouring with God. The only issue 
with that view, I find, is that there are some things that are God's business and not our business. For example, we know in Revelation that it's God's business to return and to slay the wicked. When Christ returns in Revelation 19.11, sorry, 19.21, it says Christ will return and slay all those who stand with the beast and the false prophet with the word of his mouth. Now that's God's mission, isn't it? That's what God will do. But that had better not be something that you or I are doing. (laughs) If you or I are going out into the world and slaying the wicked, then we've misunderstood something crucial about God's word. Thou shalt not murder anyone. All I'm saying is this. There are some things that are preserved of God alone that we are not to do. We are not to judge, are we? Humanity. Why? Because we're human. But is God allowed to judge humanity? Yes, because he's God. So there are slight differences, is all I'm saying, in, the, in our mission, the church, and in God's mission. I believe the clearest statement in all of the Bible about the mission of the church, about what we've been given to do, is found in this chapter that we've read, in this passage that we've read. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you, always to the end of the age. I believe that is the clearest and strongest statement of the mission of the church that we have. So what does it tell us? What does it give us to do? Well, firstly, it tells us to go. We're to have some motion to go out. Secondly, we are to make disciples. Thirdly, we are to then baptise those disciples. Fourthly, we are to teach those disciples. So... The mission of the church, let me say this, the mission of the church isn't just making converts. It's making disciples. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. So the mission of the church isn't simply about sharing the gospel. Now if anybody would like to respond, everybody close your eyes, raise your hands. Nothing wrong with it. But we're not fulfilling the Great Commission if we just leave it there. Because there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. So the mission of the church is to make disciples. It's making disciples. It's broader than simply making converts, although that's certainly part of the mission of the church. If you don't make converts, you don't make disciples. But it's narrower. The commission is narrower than simply doing great works. Okay? It's, simple, it's, it's narrower than just good stuff, good work, loving your neighbour, um, you know, doing something to change your community, those are good things. Uh, but the great commission is, is narrower than that. It's making disciples. So if a church spends their whole time, for example, 
just preaching the gospel, literally just getting the message out there, but never actually meets together with those converts, never actually practically helps them to grow in the ways of Christ, you can see that they're not fully fulfilling the Great Commission there, are they? Or maybe another church does dozens of soup kitchens. It's got all these facilities for social action. It's helping people when they come out of prison to get their finances sorted. It's doing all these wonderful projects. But if it never preaches the gospel, if it never actually tells anybody about the way to eternal life, it ain't fulfilling the great commission. If you think that God will be pleased with that church on the day of judgment, I think not. For all the good they do, They don't do the one thing that God asked them to do. So we're to make disciples. The church of Jesus Christ is a disciple-making church. Amen? That's why we've got it on that sign right there. Making disciples is what this church is about. Not just making converts. Not just about doing the stuff. It's about making disciples of Christ. So what is a disciple? I like this quote here as well. Read that in a minute. So what is a disciple? I think the closest thing in the world that we've got to what a disciple means. Because we don't really have travelling teachers these days who've got disciples as a norm, do we? But I think the closest thing we've got in the world to disciples is like apprentices. Apprentices. Has any of you ever been an apprentice before? Has a few of you been an apprentice And I think that's kind of the closest example of discipleship that we have. It's somebody who is an understudy. An understudy of their master. They follow them around, closely watching what they do, and imitating it. We had a couple of plumbers in our house, boilermen, the other week. We had a problem, our boiler broke. We had to get emergency help in. Two guys came in to fix it. One was the tradesman, the other was his apprentice. And this apprentice was quite far into his apprenticeship and it was brilliant to watch. It was great to watch this younger guy, the the older guy got the younger guy to diagnose the problem and the younger chap, the apprentice, was able to do that and then the, the plumber himself asked his apprentice, what's your diagnosis and what parts do we need? And it was the apprentice that said, well I think here's the problem and here are the solutions. Plumber said, great, let's go and do that. Let's see if it works. So can you see how that is? A disciple is more than just a convert. A disciple is more than just somebody who believes a certain set of things. A disciple is somebody who is actively engaged with their master. There is a relationship going on. They are watching what their master is doing and they are putting it into action. They're learning. They're a student. They're not passive. They're active. So a disciple is like an apprentice. I like this quote here by O'Brien. It's a theologian. He says this. The goal of our mission is to win new converts. Establish these young disciples in the faith and incorporate them into a local church. So we're to be making disciples and the qualification to be a disciple maker this is where a lot of people trip up the qualification to be a disciple maker isn't that you need to be in full-time ministry every christian every single christian is called 
to be a disciple-making Christian. And you're qualified for it. You're qualified for the task. It's not just pastors and teachers that get to do this work. But Christ has commissioned his whole church, every single one of you, to be a disciple-maker. To go and make disciples. Now for some of you, I know, speaking to Hillary, she was called to go to China and to go and be a missionary. And it was out there that she worked and made disciples and impacted the lives of others. Some of you may be called overseas to go and do missionary work. Some of you, your mission field might be your place of work. It could be in your place of education. For many of you, your primary field of mission is actually in your household. It's with your parents, it's with your children, it's with your siblings. That's the primary place that you're called to be a missionary. But each of you is to have the mindset of a missionary. We're each to think like missionaries. You may not have that title, you don't need that title to be missionary. But we're to think like missionaries. Where is our mission field and what is my role in this mission field? I know that for me, my first mission field isn't this church, it's my family. I'm called first to be a missionary to my children, to my wife, as they're called to be missionaries to me. To disciple them. To lead them in the ways of Christ. Not just to checkbox what they believe... But actually to model Christ. To model what it means to be a Christian. And yeah, we don't get it right all the time. <laughs> I'm not telling you that I'm the greatest you know, sort of missional figure in the world. I, I get it wrong. But I understand one thing is that I am called to be a missionary in my own home. And so it means that my... What my life, I guess, has to line up. There has to be integrity. And so I, I want to say that this morning is each of you is called by the Great Commission to be a disciple maker. Therefore, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. Whether you realize that or not, you are a missionary. You're a missionary. Your responsibility is to make disciples. People who are following Christ with their lives. Not just converts. Not just members for this church. I think that's often how many churches these days think about the Great Commission. Is we're making new members. <laughs> we're making new bumps on seats. Well, we make, we're supposed to be making disciples. And I do think there's a difference sometimes. Between getting bums on seats. And actually having disciples. I believe that there are many small churches in a way that are healthier than big churches. If those that are in those small churches are truly disciples, truly following Christ, truly hungry for his word and truly trying to live out his word, then I'd say that's a healthy church, even if it's only 15, 20 people. And there are many big churches where there are lots of bums on seats, lots of noise, lots of excitement, but nobody's really following Christ. So it's all about making disciples. Not how many buildings we build, not how many bums we have on seats, but how many of us are actually going after Jesus with our lives? So Jesus mentions, to finish off with a few things about 
how we're to make disciples, what we're to do in this process, in this commission of making disciples. The first of those things is to go. It's the first thing he says. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Make disciples. And I think that can be sometimes the hardest step in all of it. The hardest step can just be that first step out the door. To decide to be a missionary. To decide to share your faith. To decide to do something. To impact those around you. It can be the hardest step to make. What if they laugh at me? What if those I'm trying to talk to Jesus about reject me? They think I'm a weirdo. How many of you have felt like that before? Yes. A lot of weirdos in this church. What if they reject me? What if they laugh at me? What if they scorn me? Jesus says go. He says go. Why? Because he has been given all authority in heaven and earth. That's your why. That's all the why that you need to go. I think that's true. If you want to be good at doing something, you need to have a big why. Right? All the people that are most successful in the world at doing their particular thing have a big why for doing it. You know, if you ask the world's top athletes, how is it you're so good at this? There'll be a why. And I think it's the same with Christians. We've got to understand our why. Why do we go out? Because Jesus. That's the best answer. Not because you. Not because pastor. Not because anything else. But because Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on the earth. And one day, whether you believe him or not, he's coming back again and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And that's why I go. I go because of him. I go because I'm representing him. Representing the one who has all authority, all power and will have all glory. And if he accepts me, then what does it matter if somebody rejects me? If you're accepted by Christ, what does it matter if somebody thinks you're a weirdo? It's momentary. It passes. And in fact, I remember making a resolve about 10 years ago that I was going to start sharing my faith more publicly, start sharing my Christian values more publicly on social media. And at first, it was awful. I'm going to be honest with you. I was getting friends commenting, people concerned about me, really awkward for a few months. And then it stopped. And it became easy. And many of those friends didn't unfriend me. They just accepted me. Now they may not agree with what I was posting. But the resistance stopped. Sometimes it's that first initial push that is the hardest. But once you're through it, it gets a lot easier. The second thing Christ tells us to do is to baptise those disciples. Now this is an interesting one. Baptising them. A disciple isn't just somebody who believes in Christ. A disciple is somebody who obeys Christ. And his disciples are commanded to be baptised. In fact, we're organising a baptism service as soon as we possibly can find a baptistry 
to actually baptise people in. But we're working on it. Because we see how important this is. It's the sign and seal of God's covenant with that person. But disciples are to be obedient to Christ as well as believing in him. A Christian isn't somebody who just believes a certain set of things. Okay, a Christian is somebody who's actually following those things as best as they're able to. Does that make sense? So a Christian is a disciple. Second, the third thing we're asked to do is to teach. To teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Well, you might think at this stage, as, as many of us do, well, I'm not. I don't feel equipped. You know, if, some, if my friend became a Christian, how would I then teach them? I maybe don't feel like that's something I'd feel comfortable doing. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a great theologian. I can't teach somebody all they'd need to know. Of course you can. Every Christian's a theologian. In fact, in a sense, everybody in the world's a theologian. An atheist is a theologian because they've got a view about God. You are a theologian and you have enough to be able to teach a new convert. All you need to be is one step ahead of that person and you've got something to teach them. Teach them what you know from God's word. Teach them what you know of God's faithfulness in your walk. I think another important thing to say is that did Jesus ever sit his disciples down in a classroom? Did he give them an A4 pad? Sit down, please, while I go through this presentation. We've got a seminar for the next hour. And then next week, class will resume on Wednesday. No, he lived with his disciples, didn't he? He opened up his life to those disciples and he let them see how he lived. Part of that is what it means to teach. So can you open up some of your time to those who are younger than you in Christ? Can you give of your life? Can you open up your life with all of the stuff that goes on, but recognising that in so doing, you're teaching that person. You're discipling that person. You're giving them access to you. That's what discipling is. That's teaching as much as sitting down and listening to a sermon is. Teaching's more than head knowledge. I think that's what I'm trying to say. To finish with, a missional church and the kind of church that we want to be here at Hope City Church is a disciple-making church. A disciple-making church where each person here realises that they are a disciple who's called to make disciples. Nobody's a consumer. Nobody's here just a bum on a seat, just a name. But we're all here pulling together To win people to Christ. So how can you do that? Start in your homes. Start with your friendship groups. Start with those who you know. Your families. Be a missionary in those places that you already live. Many of you already are. But I often think if we're more intentional about that. We think okay. If I'm a missionary in my college. What might I do differently if I have that mindset of being a missionary for Christ? So start small. Open your home up. That's another great way to start discipleship. Is hospitality. Have a neighbour around for some food. Or take some flowers around to somebody. Say hello to somebody in the street. Can start small. Start small. But be hospitable. That can be another door where you can become a missionary in the life of somebody else. Invite co-workers and friends to church. Or invite them to Alpha, another great way to start that conversation.
in January next year, we're actually going to have a mission month. And we're going to spend a few Sundays opening up opportunities for both mission in the city of Wolverhampton and further afield. We're really looking forward to that. We want to become more and more missional as a church. And I want to remember and remind you of this also. The final thing that Christ says in these verses to encourage us in this job is, I am with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That always encourages me. It can feel quite a lonely place, can't it? When you're a Christian surrounded by tons of non-Christians. But Christ says, remember, I am with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I'm with you as you go. I'm with you as you make disciples. I'm with you as you open your life up for others to enter in and access what I'm doing in your life. I am with you. If you'd like to stand. We've got to remember also, first and foremost, why we have this mission in the first place. The first reason we have this mission is because Christ was on a mission to save us. We're here talking about the Great Commission only because God had a mission to come into this world and to save you. To bring you into relationship with himself. And if you're here today, maybe you've not heard that before. Maybe that's something that's never clicked for you. God so loved the world, so loved you, that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a life that you and I could never live perfectly, without sin. Lived on your behalf and died on your behalf. Took your sins upon his shoulders, was crucified died and rose again to life on your behalf so that you could have a relationship with God. That was the mission of God, to save sinful people who didn't deserve it. And if you're here today and you maybe have not received the grace of God for you, you haven't asked for forgiveness of your sins, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'd encourage you today, why not put that right? Why not turn to Christ today and leave that old life behind? I also had another sense today, a bit random, but this morning as I was praying, I got the sense that somebody maybe has a toothache, bad toothache. I think it was upper left-hand side, bad toothache. Um, So if that is you, I don't know if anybody has a toothache. Yeah, okay. Just put your hand up there. Just somebody lay hands on Joe back there. Um, Let's just pray. Father God, thank you for Joe. We just pray, Father, for Joe's tooth right now. Lord God, we just pray healing. Father, that toothache will disappear and that Lord, you'll be able to eat and chew without any pain at all. Lord God, you're healing right now even as we pray. Amen. And also for some of you, I just felt there's an encouragement from the Lord today that he's pleased with the work you're doing and not to be discouraged. Often we can hear about mission and we can go, oh man, there's so much I'm not doing. Well, you know what? Mission starts small. God is pleased with you if you're trying. So be encouraged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you've given this mission to us, but you haven't left us to complete it on our own. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the power and the grace to complete it. So God, we pray this week as we go home and we think about ways that we could be making disciples, Lord, and being more missional in our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. 
You'd reinvigorate that fire inside of us, Lord, to see you move, to see people turn to Christ in our circles, Lord. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.